Welcome to another podcast from Dismiss Life Ministry. It is our prayer that we encourage you as we present There is Redemption with Jesus Christ and strengthen His Word to keep us victorious. Today we will focus on my book, Dismiss, Lessons Learned from Sin Addiction. I will present an overview of this book and the chapters, which will occupy the next several weeks of this podcast. Let's get started. It has been several weeks since we've had a podcast due to my medical emergency about two months ago. That was around the same time I had committed myself to starting this podcast. It seems that the devil always tries to interfere with what we are trying to accomplish in our life when it has to do with correcting past mistakes, learning to live a life of faith, and attempting to do all we can to show that redemption in Christ is genuine. It reminds me of chapter 2, verse 18 in the book of James. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. I am just telling you, I'm trying to show the world that my faith is real, and by my efforts of proving my faith, I want it to be evidence to the world. As I stated in my book, Satan is a tremendous adversary, and he does all he can to destroy the progress a redeemed soul makes in his or her life as they choose to turn away from the darkness and move toward the light. Satan doesn't care who he hurts, he doesn't care who he uses, and he doesn't care for the lives he impacts. But thankfully, we have an advocate in Jesus Christ, and this advocate is not just any lawyer. But he is also a warrior. He is a chief among all warriors that defeats anyone who tries to interfere in the lives of his children, which I am. I am forever thankful that the Christ I serve is a redeeming, faithful, loving, merciful protector, and that he is accessible ever before me. All I must do is open my eyes and recognize all the blessings he has given to me in this life that I'm living. There are seven chapters in my book, and I'll highlight these chapters over the next several weeks. In Paralyzed by Sin, I discuss how I got to the point where sin reigned in my life, and that sin paralyzed me in taking the appropriate actions to escape corruption's mental and physical clutches. From the very beginning, in the Garden of Eden, man had been paralyzed to cure himself of this sin paralysis effectively and introduces our need for a savior. My next chapter, how did I get here? I discuss that eventually everyone will come to the point of brokenness if they continue to make poor decisions. After nearly two months in solitary confinement, I was finally able to ask this question, how did I get here? The simple answer is that all my sorrows stem from my inability to properly care for what God had entrusted me to care for. That is, my wife's heart, her passion, her love, her confidence, and her trust. There were holes in my umbrella. In chapter 3, I discuss the need for accountability. This talks about how we have a responsibility to live our lives according to society's laws, standards, and morals. All these restraints or constraints attempt to hold a man accountable for their actions. But without an accountability partner, we are doomed to fail. Such partners include our spouses, 
our families, our friends, and most importantly, our Savior. Next, stick a Band-Aid on it. Addresses that often in our moments of sin addiction, we return to that sin over and over on our own. And this scars our lives and leaves a lasting mark. In our attempts to correct those injuries, we stick a Band-Aid on those wounds to cover them up in the hope that they are unnoticeable and can heal themselves in secret. But when we neglect to take the appropriate care of the wounds that sin causes, we allow infection to set in and it festers, diseasing the flesh like gangrene. The destructive bacteria then starts to eat the muscle and bone, contaminates the blood, and eventually kills the affected extremities. This painful injury often restricts movement, and in each move is a constant reminder of that injury. Sometimes, in neglecting to care for this type of wound promptly, this injury can become so contaminated it will eventually cost the life of the one injured. In chapter 5, Trust, Fear Not, Perfect Love, I build on the previous chapters. The sin addict begins to realize that the devil's actions hold them and suspend their lives fixed, making them ineffectual to the cause of Christ. This was because they did not trust or fear God properly and fully, and their love for God was ingenuine and lacking. They were the ones who decided to cancel the dinner reservation at the table God set for them. They had become so malnourished of all things holy because of their lack of faith. In Bread for the Feast, we learn that the only way we can ever be restored, energized, and ultimately healed of the wounds caused by sin requires effort on our part. We must show up at the dinner table. We must place ourselves at the dinner table that the Lord has reserved for us. We must feast on the bread of life that nourishes our bodies and feeds our minds with pure holiness. We must also drink from the cup of life which quenches the deepest thirst and allows our spiritual muscles to receive the most needed hydration our soul requires from the living water. This reservation has already been placed. The Lord has already set the table. The meal has already been prepared. And the Lord has given us his servants to present the meal to us. All we must do is arrive, sit, eat, drink, and praise God for his provision. In my last chapter, Earnestly Contend, once we get to a point where our wounds start to heal and our strength is regained and our spirit is energized to fight the spiritual battle that we are in, all because we are nourished by the bread of life and living water, we can then begin to stand and take a position of opportunity of strength in the offense and defense of our faith as a victor. By learning to contend for our faith earnestly, we now have the means to utilize all the weapons of spiritual warfare the Lord has provided us in the fight for our faith. In doing so, we can take pleasure in allowing Satan to view the victories in our lives, giving Jesus the glory as he says, look at what my child has become. They have been restored, strengthened, and sustained by my word. When I wrote Dismiss, Lessons Learned from Sin Addiction, it was under duress. 
It was in deep sorrow. It was in agonizing pain, all brought upon by my guilt and shame of the consequences of sin. Thankfully, my wife, my children, my pastor, his associate, my family, and my friends encouraged me to keep my eyes focused on the Lord because it would have been easy for me to walk away. I'm forever thankful for those caring for my family while I was incarcerated. I am also incredibly grateful for the ministry that I and the other prisoners had in the brig. Those lovely people who volunteered every week, including holidays, faithfully came to encourage and challenge our faith in His Word. They pushed us not to remain focused on the issue at hand, standing in the court of man, but the constant reminder that eventually all men will stand in the court of God, given an account for all of our lives. I'm thankful they did not judge, give up on us when many others did. Rather, they gave us the constant reminder of hope and opportunity and love and forgiveness that can only be accomplished through the Word of God. All we had to do was reach out and grasp it. I was repeatedly reminded of those verses from James chapter 4, verses 7 through 11, which began my journey of redemption. It says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. And that is exactly what I did. If you look at those main words in those groups of verses, submit, resist, draw nigh, cleanse, purify, humble. When you do those things, all you can do is mourn and weep in isolation and just wait for God's redemptive power. Sin is a devastating living disease that sucks the life out of all mankind. And it's a choice mankind often makes. When a person turns their back on doing what's right with the simplest of things, if repeated, it becomes a habit. Then this habit becomes a life characteristic that accepts wrong and justifies wrong actions in future more significant feats of sinful activities. When I started this book, I didn't think of sin as an addiction or ever hear the term sin addiction before. But when I began studying sin, I started seeing a standard description. All unrighteousness is sin. Anyone holding on to sin cannot stand in the presence of a holy God. It wasn't until then that I realized that all men and women have an addiction to sin because of our pride and lust of the flesh and eyes. For us, sin can quickly capture an unsuspecting subject, which can quickly become bound and enslaved to its devastating effects. We are warned in Galatians 5.1 of the dangers of being entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Yet the person with an addiction to sin, this warning is ignored as they take advantage of the liberty we have in Christ. Then, with that choice, we are essentially held in bondage and enslaved. 
That is what John 8.34 says. Whosoever committeth sin is a servant of sin. The person with an addiction to sin must realize that even in their most sincere attempts to escape, they will be captured repeatedly and be returned to the den of iniquity. As we often attempt to escape on our own, we will fail. Giving way to our spiritual freedoms, we become so quickly imprisoned by our adversary in the clutch of his grasp that it feels as though there is nothing to do but to succumb to man's accuser and let life just ride out. It's a war of attrition. Freedom seems hopeless no matter how strong you think you may be. I use the analogy of exercising in the gym of wickedness, a place where everyone's membership never expires. In this gym, I could put all my sinful exercise routines into practice. This is where I could build endurance in my profane exercise routines, and then with this endurance, I could participate more frequently in the more wicked and dangerous feats of corruption. Having less guilt, less fear, and more confidence in my sinful actions, I grew a mass of sin muscle that worked to prevent the Holy Spirit from penetrating my life and convincing me of my evil actions. Satan's grip blinded and strangled me so tightly that it hindered my spiritual sight and breathing ability. I was suffocating and could not observe what was right before me. I no longer could evaluate all my wrong choices and weigh what the consequences would eventually cost me. I could not breathe in or see what was true, honest, just, pure, lovely, and good, as described in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. My muscles became so starved of the pure breath of God's Word and its allowance to correct my sinful actions that my fear of the Lord became stifled, and His judgment was no longer considered. I should have taken heed to Psalm chapter 9 verses or Psalm chapter 19 verse 9 which says the fear of the Lord is clean enduring forever the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether When I began writing this book I knew it would touch a nerve of many people primarily the naysayers who would say he is not being honest in everything he's saying or is only using it to cover up his sin or hide something more profound. All I can say to them is that my intentions are pure, regardless of her, how unpleasant your perspective is of me and the actions that drew me to write this book. Because of Christ, I can leave my past sin behind and live my daily life as a testament of restoration and recovery. With their negativity, naysayer, naysayers limit God's redemptive work, and they discount His glory and redeeming of soul. And I would have to question their vision of God and their own personal salvation. His word even tells us in Luke chapter 1, verse 37, For with God nothing shall be impossible. And I believe that because I have seen some pretty incredible things in my life that only God could have accomplished. The road to redemption is easy, but staying on it until glorification is difficult. 
those who take up travel on this road to redemption will still be considered a threat to the world because they desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. And it is that transforming life that threatens them when confronted with truth, the kind of truth that changes lives and the kind of truth that leads to persecution. We are warned in God's word in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. It's a challenging life that people must never forget. Still, thankfully, our Christ encouraged us to continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of. So we can take comfort in all scripture so that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished into all good works. For me, along the road of redemption, we learn this true meaning of repentance and remission. These, these are the hallmarks of our Christian faith and salvation, the will of God for every man to be conformed to his will. My book was written from the perspective of someone who knew the Lord, yet failed to fully surrender all and live a life of faith entirely according to God's word. Choosing to maintain or hold on to some sins, we are extending a hand of invitation to Satan to still participate in our lives. With this perspective in mind, the Christian who has been caught up in sin and that sin finally exposed publicly should not give up nor allow Satan's ultimate victory in turning them entirely away from the Lord. By sounding this alarm in warning and providing encouragement, I am offering you a ray of redemption based on the truth of Scripture. I am using my life lessons, good and evil, and God's Word to point you to the cross and allow you the opportunity and confidence to know that Christ can forgive and restore you completely. I wrote that the deep trench of wickedness is a cold, dark place. It is void of hope and any escape route on our own. In this deep trench, I learned that I needed to rebuild a love relationship of faith with my Savior. I had to realize that I was without excuse for the things that I accepted into my life and the things that I did with the life God had given me. I chose not to glorify God in and with my life, nor was I thankful to Him for what He had given me. For me, my foolish heart was darkened, as Romans 1, chapter 21 says. Then I read in, in Matthew, chapter 6, verse 24, that I was that man who was serving two masters, whom I loved and devoted myself to both equally. I had to learn that I could not serve both. I had to make a choice and grow to despise the other that was destructive. It was here in my darkness I began seeing a glimmer of light in the far distant. Then, reflecting on my past military life and walking in the valleys of foreign countries I served in while in the field, I recalled the cold, dark, eerie feelings I had as enemy combatants observed my every movement. Even when the sun is at its height, the mountains or the valley depth below still shadowed you, and you were in darkness. 
This is the same kind of darkness where Satan flourishes, where he is watching on every, our every step, waiting for an opportunity to strike. Every time I was in those moments, I had this overwhelming feeling of my need to get to the light. Search for the light and quickly and cautiously move towards the light. In the light, I felt peace and safety. As the Bible says, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world, and knowing that I can have perfect peace amid danger, and that I can trust God to care for me, <laughs> it's amazing. After all, he promised in his word, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. All because I can walk confidently as a child of God. For ye were sometimes in darkness, but now ye are the light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. The exciting part was when I was in this valley of darkness, I learned of my genuine sorrow because my heart was tested to most significant degree than I had ever been tested. My faith was tested because my grief was so immense. I had to learn to overcome this monumental sin in my life and realize the only way to escape was through a healing of a supernatural hand. In this valley is where I felt the hand of God in my life, pulling me into him because my heart was broken. My spirit was contrite, and God's word says, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. And that to me was just the start to the road of redemption. Thank you for joining us today. We pray that your spirit is lifted and your eyes are focused on Christ. Join us next week for our next podcast.